the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The law and the gospel. So which is it? One or the other or both? Let's take the time to find out next here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. How many times have we heard that one? But the fact of the matter is, as Paul lays out here in Galatians chapter 3, in a sense, we are under the law, as it is a tutor that drives us to grace. We invite you to spend time with us today as we explore the unique intricacies of the law and the gospel. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29 is where we catch up with Pastor Gary today on this edition of Abounding Grace. The covenant is one of those ideas and words that occurs throughout Scripture. Every book of the Bible has it as its theme, and it is the structure in which everything in the Bible takes place. Everything that happens to anyone from Genesis to Revelation happens to them because of some promise or some law or some act of obedience, or some disobedience to something in God's covenant. And the same is true of you and me, by the way. What is this covenant? Whenever you think of the word covenant, think bond, B-O-N-D. It is an intimate and eternal bond of friendship between the creator of the universe and people of his choosing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can so that you can retain this in your mind. Whenever you read the Bible, have these thoughts in your mind. The covenant is an eternal, intimate bond of friendship between the creator of the universe and the people of his choosing in the Lord Jesus Christ, in which God is their sovereign friend, and they are his servant friends. In this bond, God gives us two blessings. He gives us communion of life with himself. That is, every day of our lives, we can live in intimate fellowship with God and know who we are. We can know God and know we know God. And with this communion of life, this daily fellowship we have with Him, God gives us a sovereignly dictated order of life in His Word by which we are then to live. In other words, in this covenant bond, He gives us promises and He gives us law. He gives us promises to feed our faith and to draw us closer to Him. And he gives us law so that we know how to live as his covenant people, distinct from the rest of the world. Another thing to remember about the covenant is that when God enters into a bond of friendship with a man, 
God claims that man's family down through his generations. So remember what God told Abraham in Genesis 17, 7. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people down through your generations in an everlasting covenant between me and you and your seed or descendants. So you see, once you bring in the word descendants, you are then talking about the progress of history. You're talking about one generation giving birth to another and to another and to another. So you're talking about the flow of history. God's covenant is that bond of friendship between the creator of the universe and the Lord of history, between himself and people of his own choosing in the Lord Jesus Christ down through their generations. Now, because this is made between God and sinners, it has to be a covenant of grace. And that's why I'm always talking about a covenant of grace. It's not something that sinners ever deserve. God is, of course, not dealing with pure, clean people. God is dealing with undeserving, helpless sinners who not only deserve God's condemnation, but who cannot lift themselves out of the mire of their own sins. And yet, God condescends to where they are and in grace and mercy, totally undeservingly brings them into a close relationship with himself, which means this covenant of grace can only be known by revelation. I mean, if the Bible is a book thought up by men, and they're thinking up all of these things, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing, except these are the mere opinions of people who they think a person should, uh, they should think how a person should relate to God, which opinions are then no better or worse than mine. And therefore, you might as well just throw the Bible out and get some other book. No, the covenant of grace is not something old that some old theologian thought up. We would never have known how he established this relation with us and our children had God not revealed it to us in reality and in words and in sentences that we can understand. Also, a second, second thing to understand about this covenant of grace is that it's irrevocable and unalterable. Both unalterable and irrevocable. That is, once God has put this covenant relationship in place, it cannot and will not ever be altered. No matter what happens in history, there will be nothing that will have the effect of abrogating or annulling or changing or modifying it in any way. That is this relationship that God has established with us and our children in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is it unalterable, but God's covenant is inevitable. One of the things that postmodern people have against Christians like us who believe the things that we do, and of course they call us fundamentalists, which they think is a derogatory thing, is that we are out of step with history. That it is inevitable that things will change. And our view, of course, someday will be put into a museum. And today we are out of step. We are marching against history. 
Well, you see, beloved, it is they who are out of step with history. Because the covenant of grace is inevitable in its triumphal progress in history. Because it has been established by God and sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the goals of God's covenant will be reached. All of the promises of God's covenant will be fulfilled. All of God's covenant people will be saved. And not one of them will be lost. It is inevitable that the covenant grace triumphs over all opposition. And someday, all the popular anti-Christian views that you read about will be dust in museums that no one will be interested in. Another thing to bear in mind about this covenant is that it is historical and real. We're not talking theological jargon here, my friends. We are not trying to superimpose on everyday life some never-never world. The covenant of grace was made with real people. It was made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, Moses, David, on through to the New Testament, on to the book of Acts, on into the early church, up to the medieval church, to the church of the Reformation, on through the era of the Puritans, and up to the founding of America to this very day. And you are as real as the people to, to whom this covenant was made. It is real, historical thing made with real people. And it is central to the gospel and central to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the reason God came into the world was to make sure God's covenant would be experienced in the lives of all of those who believe in him. Turn with me, if you will, to the first chapter of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, Mary has been told she is a virgin mother. And that the Holy Spirit has caused her to conceive miraculously. So this young woman in verse 46 sings a wonderful song. And we call it the Magnificat because of the Latin translation of the first line. But notice what she says in verse 46. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Then it shows as it goes on that this young teenage girl had a great philosophy of history. Verse 50. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. Verse 54. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and Abraham and his offspring forever. She said, This baby in my womb, this son of the Most High God, is the fulfillment of what God promised Abraham. She had a great view of history. Look over at Zacharias' hymn called the Benedictus. Zacharias was John the Baptist's father. And in verses 67 and 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has united us, that is, united them in this child, and has accomplished redemption for his people. In verse 72. 
to show mercy toward our father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. So you see there that these are firsthand witnesses to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they understood something that we have lost. I believe that most people today who celebrate Christmas do not have a clear understanding of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the church. Now, we're nowhere near as clear as the understanding of Mary and Zacharias in these ancient carols in the first two chapters of Luke. They understood what the truth of Jesus was all about. Why? Because they understood history. They understood where history was going. They understood its nature. They understood that the baby in the manger was sent by God to fulfill and enforce and put into effect a bond of friendship that God had established with his people 2,000 years earlier, which would be the basis of mass acceptance with God throughout all history. Now, the thing that Mary and Zacharias are bringing out is that there has been a historical development of the revelation of the covenant bond throughout history. That is, God is good, and God is wise, and he understands how much we can handle. And he knows what our limitations are. And God knew that if he told us the whole story of salvation in one shot, whoever he told that to would be blinded by such light. So God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to reveal himself and the future nature of salvation and our relationship with him by this covenant gradually throughout history. So at the very beginning of the human race, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God came to them and he said, I'm going to give you a son. And that son will crush the serpent's head. That son of yours, Adam, will destroy evil in the world. But he doesn't tell them much more than that. Then God goes on a few centuries to Noah. Evil and violence had so accelerated in the human race that God had to sweep the world clean with his flood. And in connection with the flood, God came to Noah and he said, Noah, I'm going to enter into a bond with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I will promise that fall will follow summer, summer will always follow spring, and spring will always follow winter until all of my redemptive purposes have been accomplished and all of my people have been saved. There will be nothing that will destroy life on this planet, neither a nuclear holocaust or a depletion of resources or anything else that man does that will have the effect of destroying the human race. Until all of the promises of my covenant have been fulfilled and all of my covenant people have been saved and brought to me. Another layer of the covenant revealed to Noah. Then a few centuries later, he comes to Abraham. He calls Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees in what was probably a moon-worshipping family. And, and he says to Abraham, you and your family will be mine down through their generations. I promise you that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through your seed. 
Someday, all of your seed will possess the entire world. You and they will enjoy daily fellowship with me as you walk in faithfulness to what I require of you. And your seed will be more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Another layer revealed. A few generations later, God raises up Moses and enters into a covenant bond with him. He promises Israel through Moses a mediator, a redeemer, and he promises sanctification. Through the whole sacrificial system, God teaches his people that the basis of their standing with him is through redemption provided by a substitute who bears the condemnation sin deserves in our place. Through Moses, he gave his people laws. Not laws to climb up to God as a a ladder, but as a means by which they are to live as a sanctified, redeemed people in this world. Let me give you a couple of little uh, historical observations now to show you truly how important history is. A couple of observations to make about this Moses and Abraham. Two little simple, nothing particularly profound observations that are the basis of the Christian church throughout the centuries for the understanding of the relationship of law and gospel and the true nature of salvation. First observation. The covenant God made with Abraham came about five centuries before the covenant that God made with Moses. Abraham lived around 2000 BC and Moses lived around 1500 BC. Now, what is the impact of that information? Well, it is this. The covenant God made with Moses has confused a lot of people who just don't think really too deeply because it contains so many laws And they assumed, particularly the critics of Paul's day, that all these laws that were given in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy meant that God changed the way he would deal with people. And now he's going to deal with them on the basis of their obedience to the law of God rather than the way he used to deal with them in the days of Abraham, which was, of course, by grace through faith. Because Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It wasn't that he obeyed God and that counted as righteousness with God. He simply, remember, believed God and God accepted him through faith without works, without any kind of self-justification. Abraham was justified by faith, not by self. And now Moses comes along with all these laws, and surely, they think, it's for changing the way God wants to relate to people. And now we've got to obey these laws to justify ourselves. Well, the thing to bear in mind here is that the Abrahamic covenant, with its emphasis on faith in Christ, came before the covenant that God made with with Moses which not only emphasizes faith, but which emphasizes obedience. So what does that mean? Like Paul says here in our text, in human relationships, when a covenant is made, and more than likely he's talking now about a will, 
But when a human will is made and ratified, there can be no modifications to it. This was particular to Greek wills. Once you made your will, you couldn't ever modify it or alter it. How much more true is this of God's covenant? God made a covenant with Abraham saying that our standing with God is through faith in Christ and not according to our own works and our own merit. So when God comes along, he enters into a covenant with Moses and says, here are a bunch of laws for you to obey. He's not saying, I've changed the way we're going to relate to one another. He's simply saying, I'm giving these laws to help you who are saved by faith know how to live faithfully unto me. If the covenant of Moses came before the covenant with Abraham, then Paul's critics would be, of course, right. The Judaizers would be right. If God gave all the laws first, and then he started talking about grace and salvation and such, it would mean that if you want to get in on the grace of God, if you want to be saved, then first of all, you've got to obey all of these laws. And you've got to do enough right things to get in with God. But you see, one little observation. The Abrahamic covenant came before the Mosaic covenant. And the covenant cannot be altered. So God wasn't changing the way he related with people. He was simply giving his people who were saved by grace through faith in Christ laws to show them how to express that faith in faithfulness as God's special people. That's one very important and special observation. The Abrahamic covenant was delivered about 500 years before the Mosaic covenant, which means whatever God promised Moses in no way affects what God promised Abraham. And the second observation is that the Red Sea came before Mount Sinai. But we're going to leave that for consideration next week as we continue this observation of the law and the gospel in Jesus Christ. But before we finish today, I want to leave you with a preview of what we're going to talk about next week by reading to you uh, something out of uh, Dr. Rushdoony's commentary on the book of Galatians. And I'd like you to listen to this very carefully. The English Bible renders the first part of verse 22, but Scripture has declared the whole world to be prisoners in subjection to sin. The law makes it impossible for men to claim righteousness before God. Men in their national Phariseeism are ready to say, I'm not such a bad guy. I'll take my chances with God. The law of God is death to all such claims. Hence, the unpopularity of God's law with men who seek their unmediated standing before God. Wherever men seek unmediated status before God, they also create their own law. The Pharisees of old did so by their traditions. Modern man seeks to create a humanistic system, justice by means of social planning, laws, and education to enable himself to establish a just order apart from God. History 
gives us the continuing shipwrecks of all such efforts. For all such men, their laws are attempts to force their particular doctrines of justice and order on men and societies. In so doing, they affirm the claim of the tempter in Jesus 3.5, that man as his own God and law can determine good and evil, establish the true paradise on earth, and declare God to be irrelevant and wrong. By its antinomianism, the church affirms the validity of such efforts. It declares that man can provide the way by his own thinking and legislation, and that is a matter of humanistic discovery rather than God's law revelation. But as Simeon said, For God to permit any part of his law to be dispensed with is to allow men to rob him of his glory and to despoil themselves of his image. Men then set aside grace for their works and law, and men then remake themselves in their own image. But because God is the Lord, the sovereign, the conclusion of all such efforts is death. God's law cannot be annulled, nor his grace denied. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.